you have your Bible, turn to Mark 4. We'll start at verse 35 and read this text together, and then I'll go back and make some commentary on it. If you haven't already uh, signed up to get the weekly devotional, I want to encourage you to do that. It's a very good way to be tuned in here, um, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. As a community, as we are studying together, uh, the conversations that can take place outside of this are um, kind of neat. And so if you would like to get the devotional, you can email rachel at therivercrc.com or frontdesk at therivercrc.com. And that's in your bulletin as well. Mark 4, starting at verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up. (sighs) Rebuked the wind. And said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they asked each other, who Is this even the wind and the waves obey him? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's kind of fun to get somebody else's notes and then try to preach from them. Scott has as the opening line the question we ask when we're afraid. And I got to be honest, I have no idea where he was going with that. (laughs) So I thought it'd be fun to put it to you. What is the question that you ask when you are afraid? Deep, kind of inside, what is the question you ask? When I was a kid, telling people in the first service, when I was a kid, my question was like, as I closed my eyes and prayed, Pray to God that when I open them, there wouldn't be a leprechaun in my room. And my question was, I wonder if they're real. Lord, are they real? I know you're thinking, this kid's got problems. I had an active imagination, okay? Don't judge me. What's the question you ask when you're afraid? 
Think about this for a moment. I, I, I want to ask for some responses in just a second. You might say, well, I don't know that I'm, I'm afraid that often, but I heard somebody recently say, you know, worry is just another form of, of fear. Anger is often just another form of fear. I'm afraid that, that justice won't be, be had. And the reaction is anger. Anxiety, stress, we say stress, but really stress is a form of fear. I'm not going to be able to get everything done that I need to get done. Fear takes a lot of shapes and forms. What's the question behind that 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 you tend to ask yourself when you're afraid? Shout it out. I'll repeat it. How? Can you elaborate a little bit? How do I fix this? Right? Great. Thank you. Why is this happening? Good. What did I do to deserve this? Will I be okay? Will I be okay? Somebody else said one. What's the outcome going to be? How do I get through this? How do I overcome this? Is it ever going to end? How can I trust? Are you with me on this one, Lord? Are you with me on this one? What was the one back there? What's wrong with me? Yeah. How many of you heard a question that you can relate to this morning? I would say it's probably fair to, to guess that all of us at some point have asked at least one of these, if not many of them. I know in, in my life, there's this current that goes, am I going to be okay? Can I trust you? Are you really with me? Why would this happen? This morning, I think that God has an answer or a gift to give us in the midst of those questions. Jesus, notice in verse 35, is that day when evening came, if you read before this, you see that he's been working all day. He's been teaching the crowds. And those of you that work with people, you know that it's tiring to work with people. Because people are people. <laughs> Write that in your notes. <laughs> what did you learn today? I learned that people are people. People are going to be like, that's one of those things that's It sounds really simple, but it's really profound, right? And you're like, yeah. They're tiring. It's tiring to be around people. Amen. Especially you. And me, right? I'm exhausted. Try to spend an hour with me. It's exhausting. You will be so tired. Julie, tell everybody. 
try a lifetime. This poor woman can't get any rest. And so Jesus, the evening comes, and he says to his disciples, everybody's on this side of the lake. Let's go to the other side. What's he doing? He's running. He's trying to get away. And if you've been reading Mark up until this point, this is not a new thing for Jesus. I counted last night, I just read through it. I counted seven different times when he does this. 1 verse 12, the Spirit sent him into the desert. You been to the desert lately? I went yesterday. The Joshua Tree. What a phenomenal place. Beautiful place. It's not hard to be away from people in the desert. You walk like 20 feet off of the road through Joshua Tree and look behind you unless you brought your kids with you, which I did. Then you just keep running and run a little faster and hide behind a rock. And you're alone in, in no time. Jesus starts out his ministry first by, by going away from everybody. 1 verse 12, you keep going. 1 verse 35, it says, He got up in the morning, left the house, and went to a solitary place. Solitary is a lonely place. It's an alone place. There's nobody else. It's just him. Third one there I see in verse 45, it says, He couldn't enter a town openly, but he stayed outside in lonely places. Found another one in 3 verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. So the first time he's just like, hey, if we go on the water in a boat, there won't be anybody around us and we'll be alone, right? When I was reading this the first time, um, I read verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took him along as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. So even on the lake, it was like he's trying to get away, but he couldn't because there were these people who just wanted to be with him. And I thought, hashtag mom life. That's being a mom right there. My poor wife can't steal like three minutes of solitary place. Kids, dad, where's mom? She's like, She's doing something right now. No, where is she? I need her. It's like, what do you need? I need mom. Why? I can't find my pink sock. This is like, I mean, I watch moms, dads too. It's hard to find alone. It's hard to find that place alone. We got our phone. We get updates. Blip, blip. We get text. We get email. We get Facebook. You know, you're constantly engaged and in tune. Uh, Jesus models what it's like to live from a place of, of rest and fullness. You got to get away. My friends, if you hear nothing else this morning from this text, say, hey, if the God of the universe came and took on flesh and blood and is the image of the invisible God, If he, seven times before Mark 5, if he seven times withdraws to lonely places to find rest and peace and grounding and remind himself who he is, that he's not what he does, he's not what other people say about him, he's not what he's accumulated, he's just a child of God. If he needed to do that seven times, you think maybe you and I need to be in rhythms of rest and and solitary and 
solitude? You think maybe we do? There's a lot of things coming at us all day long. This is part of why I think it's really important for each of us to have a rhythm of rest built into our day, built into our week, built into our month, built into our year. And you fight for it. Jesus does this. And if somebody says, hey, you didn't respond to that text, just be like, you know what? Just trying to follow Jesus. If they're like, hey, I tried to get a hold of you. Where were you? You just say, you know what? I don't answer my phone on Saturday, Sunday. Pick a day. It doesn't even matter. Shut her down. Today, the world doesn't depend on me. These people were coming to Jesus to like fix big problems. You know what he said? <laughs> I don't have anything to give you right now. I don't have anything to give you. I got to go to the place where my father is going to give me what I need so that I could give you something. You hear me? It's okay. It's okay to say no. The world's going to keep spinning, friends. Whether or not you respond to that email, whether or not you turn in that assignment. Oh. He went there. We got a church full of teachers. Guess what? The world's going to keep going if you get a B. If you say, you know what, this moment is a little too important. I'll turn that in another time. And if that's a problem for you, I'm just trying to follow Jesus. <laughs> I, I'm serious. This is, a, this is a hard, this is an important word for this congregation of those of us who are like self-made, right? We put on our work shoes and I'm about to work and get the job done and everything depends on me getting it done and doing it right and being good and being strong and being you know, the best at what I do, and I want to be the best. And, you know, I think Jesus was the best at what he did, which was saving the world. And he rested a lot. And he found solitary places to just be with his dad, his Abba. To get plugged in, to let all this stuff. I walked out of the service after the first service. I had like three people. I love talking to people. I love this church. It's amazing. But it's amazing what happens, what we can do to each other. We tie up little burdens on each other real fast, don't we? We put things on each other in a hurry. And it's amazing how quickly we can start carrying everybody's stuff, everybody else's stuff, our own stuff, and then everybody else's This lifestyle that God has called us to as a people, this lifestyle of ministry, is a beautiful thing, is a powerful experience. I mean, it's the best way to be in the world. But if you're not plugged in, if we're not plugged in, you ever seen what a blender does in a drawer? Nothing. How's your toaster work when it's not plugged in? It's not very hot. You put bread in there all day long. It ain't going to turn into toast. You know, the, the, part of the challenge for us as a community, as we talk about reaching the world with the, the love of God, you know, 
That's not, we cannot do that. We're like a toaster that's not plugged in if we're not, you know, if our worship, the study of the text, these things fuel, they remind us who we are. I had an assignment this past week um, from a group that I'm in, and this, this, um, our, my coach asked me to look at five different verses. And one was in Romans, and one was in Philippians, and one was in Colossians, and um, I don't remember what they all were um, exactly. But she asked us, in these verses, what is our work and what is God's work? And in every one of these verses, you know what our work was? The, the work of the servant, the one called by God? You know what our work is? Is to present ourselves available, open. And the word that it said that God does in Greek over and over was the, the word energos. E-N-E-R-G-O-S. It's where we get our word energy. The energy comes from God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, hey, you know, um, Paul plants, Apollos waters, but God makes it grow. And you and I, cannot give what we don't have. If we don't have a connected relationship with the God in the universe, no amount of words are going to change that for our kid or our friend or our neighbor. And so Jesus ministers from this place he knows this. It's why he is adamant about being charged because he knows tomorrow they're all coming back. <laughs> and today they wanted this and tomorrow they're going to need that and the day after that they're going to need another thing. It's not going to stop, but he doesn't despair at the fact that it's not going to stop. He prepares. He doesn't despair, he prepares. One more time, my friends, if the God of the universe came and took some time to go get connected to his Father, right? if Jesus came, was sent by God, and the first thing he does is spend a whole bunch of time alone in the desert hearing from the Lord about who he is. This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. With him I am well pleased. If he doesn't hear that thing echoing in his soul, the world is going to create for him a different identity. You are this magical healer man. You are this great teacher man. You are, you know, all these other things. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Like, I am first and foremost a son of the Most High. At the core of who I am, I am loved just because my Father is pleased with me. For those of us who have been around kids, um, I heard somebody say recently, you know, being a parent, there's a lot of pressure on parents nowadays. You go to like a parenting section of Barnes and Noble, there's like a thousand books you can get on how to best be a parent. You know, the best thing you can do as a parent is just like take pleasure in being around your kids. You ever experienced somebody being in someone's presence who just loved being around you? How much life does that give you? It gives me so much life when I'm around someone, I'm like, these people really like being around me. 
Jesus says, you got to go to that place, friends. you got to go to that place every single day, especially when it's busiest. People say, I can't, I can't, I got no time to go to church. I got no time to do that. How do you not have time? I, I can't imagine living out of a place where I wasn't primarily and fundamentally identifying myself by the love and the grace of God. I've done it before. It's exhausting. It's not worth it. So one of the encouragements that I want to give you this morning is to seriously consider, seriously consider modeling this activity in Jesus' life. Not as like a, yeah, well, I'll think about that. As like your entire faith depends on this. Your heart and your soul and your mind depend on this. Your ability to raise your parents to, uh, or raise your kids. Some of you might be raising your parents too. Our entire... Everything rests on this. If I don't have a heart that's surrendered, if I don't have a heart that's secured, if I don't have a heart that's, that's been being loved by the God of the universe, if, if I'm not deeply aware of that, like in my bones, then a whole bunch of other things are gonna identify me. And I'm gonna look for love in all the wrong places. You with me? One of the things that you might think about is taking this passage with you tomorrow morning or afternoon or evening or this week or whenever God you know opens this time for you to it's not even him opening it it's just creating it. Whenever you create this space in your life. Whenever you stop and just go be with him you might think about taking this text with you. There's three questions that, the disciple, or that are asked. So verse 37, a squall came up. Jesus is trying to rest, and the squall comes up. Where's my pink sock? You know, uh, there's this interruption, and the waves break over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, okay? Um, these, again, many of the disciples are, are fishermen. These are people familiar with the the Sea of Galilee, this large lake. And um, it, it, there is in the middle this really weird uh, like vortex-ish. There's all these hills surrounding the Sea of Galilee. And on the north side, they get these like squalls that would just, that just like pop up. And so they're big. But this is like a big, big storm. And the disciples are tripping. So he's in the stern sleeping on a cushion like God does. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? First question you might ask yourself. God, don't you care? There's a storm in my life. There's a storm in my family's life. There's a storm in my neighbor, my friend's life. Don't you care? There's a storm in our country. Don't you care? There's a storm in the world. Don't you care? It's not a new question. 
psalmist asks it over and over and over. Psalm 44, he says, God, are you asleep? Jesus would have been like, actually, yeah, I was. What, what is the storm that you've encountered? What storms do you see? If you've got a little pen and a paper, write one down right in front of you. What storm have you walked through? Are you walking through? What storms are your friends walking through? What storm have you walked through? What storms have you endured? One of the things that I think is really important for us as we are um, continuing to grow as a community, walking through with people through lots of storms, something that I've watched the pastors here that are older than I am do really well, is when people are walking through storms, this is not necessarily a time to be the answer man or the answer woman. You hear me? Sometimes truth has to transcend words. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what God does in Christ is put flesh and blood around the truth that he loves us, the truth that he's for us, the truth that he's with us, even in the midst of the storm. And one of the most powerful things that we can offer to others in their storms is our presence. Sometimes the words are just like a gong or a clanging cymbal. Yesterday we went hiking in Joshua Tree with some friends, and at one point um, my four-year-old spoke a word of truth to a friend. She said, your teeth are yellow. This was true. He readily admitted, yeah, I had some work done when I was a kid, and my teeth, they are a little yellow. Just because it's true doesn't mean it's right for that moment. Just because it's true doesn't mean that that's the thing God is calling you to speak in that moment. The observation, hey Nick, you look a little heavier than you did six months ago. It may be true. Please don't say that to me. I got enough stuff I'm trying to figure out. And when people are suffering, this is this is this is prime time to just follow what Jesus does, right? He is present. In the boat. He's taking a nap. And it's presence that when we suffer, you and I are invited to give. It's the sharing of the burden. It's the I love you and you're not alone that is the most powerful word you and I can offer in the midst of storms. Teacher, don't you care? This is a big storm, so I imagine them yelling, right? Like, 
Don't you care if we drown? Why me? How am I supposed to get through this? Are you with us or not? Where are you? It's not that this is a bad question. It's not that it's a wrong question. As a matter of fact, I think it's a really important question. I'm so glad they asked it. They didn't ask each other, they asked Jesus. Don't you care if we drown? You notice what Jesus does. (gasps) (sighs) He got up. (laughs) Such an interesting little detail. He got up. Israel, if you remember the history, um, the people of Israel are enslaved. How many years? 400. Crying the cry of the oppressed. Don't you care? Don't you care? In that time, God was doing something. He was creating a people. He was birthing a nation. That takes a little bit of time. Doesn't it? It takes a little bit of time to to birth an entire nation who you're going to call to be a blessing to the world. And so it's not that there was something wrong with that question. It's just that God was doing something far greater and far bigger through those people who were suffering in that time. God was doing something that would bless the entire world through this little tribe. This is why James says, you know, we don't always get it. But in James 1, 2, I had somebody quote this to me this week. They said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of of many kinds. This is a gentle word of truth. Consider it joy. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. A strength. I had a young man come up after the first service and said, you know, my week last week was so hard. And he said, I remembered somebody at one point said that we shouldn't pray for the storm to go away. We should pray for strength to endure it. And I thought, wow, you're like 17 and you know this. I'm trying to figure this out at 36. I just want it to go away. Stop. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. You know that the testing your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must carry out its work so that you can be Let's say it again. Perseverance must carry out its work so that you can be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So that God can build in you and create in you a, a, a kind of person that he always in, intended for you to be. So that God can, can speak to you a love and a kindness that is so intense and beautiful and, and unimaginable that, that it would just glow in the midst of any storm. So Jesus 
responds to the disciples' request. Be still. Quiet. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. I don't know what you hear there. But I jumped to Psalm 46. Anybody know Psalm 46 verse 10? What does that say? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Be still and know that I am God. And everything dies down. He said to the disciples this last question. Hey, hey, hey. I don't hear like an angry, annoyed Jesus. Maybe you do. I feel like in, in my ears walking with him, he's just not really like that. And sometimes, you know, we give people the wrong impression of him when we come at them like really hard with some truth bombs. This is what I see, okay? I see Jesus like this. Hey, why are you so afraid? Why are you so scared? Come on. Just keep following me. Let's go. Right? Now, granted, he did just wake up from a nap, so maybe it was a little more like, why are you so afraid? Why are you tripping? I don't, I, I don't hear this. Like, why are you so afraid? Oh, you of little faith. I hear, hey, why are you so afraid, man? It's like you got the little faith. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's ramp it up a little bit. Did you see that, the whole storm thing? That's nothing. That's nothing. Because I'm about to overcome death. That is where fear really has no place anymore. That is where I take the sting out of fear once and for all. That's where I just remove it. Where, oh death, is your sting? And when I, when I do that, then, then you're really going to feel it in your bones. You don't have to be afraid. Hey, why are you so afraid? Come on, come on, little faith. Let's ramp it up. Let's go. Notice, a few chapters later, Mark 8. The last question. Sorry about the time. This is what happens when you don't like have a week to really think about this text so much you just kind of roll with it. I'm going to close it up here. This is the last question. Um, First, I'll read this, verse 41. They were terrified. Not terrified, afraid. Terrified like awe and wonder like, what? And they asked each other, who is this dude? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This morning, this is the question for us. We prayed it. Before the service, who is this? Who is he to you? 
Notice Mark 8, Mark does the same thing and asks the same question. Mark 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples again, 8 verse 27, and he says, Who do people say that I am? And they replied, hey, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and others, they say, you know, one of the prophets. So they kind of do the thing where, like, well, this is what everybody else is saying. Like, is this the right answer? Right? Like, this is what they said. And Jesus is like, okay, who do you say I am? 8 verse 29. But what about you? I, I don't care about your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife or your kids. I want to know what you say. Not your teacher, not the pastor. What do you say? Who do you say I am? The answer to this question determines the outcome of your life. Who do you say that I am? We're not here to preach a religion. We're not talking about Christianity. I could care less about Christianity as a religion or the big thing about evangelicals or or mainline Christians. I don't care. This is the question. Who do you say that Jesus is? What do you do with him? What do you do with Jesus? Who is he to you this morning? How do you know him? Do you know him as a healer? Do you know him as a teacher? Do you know him as a savior? Do you know him as a friend? Mark begins his gospel by saying this. This is the story. It's not a doctrine. It's not a philosophy. This is not a theology. This is a story about Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Friends, in the midst of the storm, my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that I would fix my eyes on Jesus. That in the middle of that storm, I might experience his goodness, his gentleness, his playfulness, his love. That I might see myself first and foremost, not just as a follower, but as somebody whose life is surrendered and so bound up in what he's doing in the world that the storm is just a storm. That it's his presence in my life that transcends everything else. This week, as you're finding your solitary place, as you're making room for it, I want to invite you to take this text with you. To ask those three questions. To read it again. Ask those three questions. And when you get to this last one, to really wrestle with this. Who do I say that you are. And then pray it. Pray it back to him. And offer it to him. Let's pray. I say you're the Christ. I say that before anything existed, you were. I say that you're the image of the invisible God, the one I cannot see. I say that you're good. I say that you're better than any evil. I say that suffering isn't the final word, but that you are. That's who I say you are. Lord, forgive me for any time in my life where I confess anything short of that. I know I do. I'm embarrassed by it. I'm ashamed of it. And so this morning, we just lift you up above every other name. We lift you up above every 
storm. They know your name. And they submit to you. And so we gently, Lord, give our lives to you. We give our lives to you and surrender and trust. We believe that the outcome will be as you intended it. So that you get all the glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.